Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Delaware Spotlight the weekly look at the news and events going on around the state. I'm your host, Earl Holland, and this week we'll take a look at the serious issue of substance abuse and addiction with Dr. Denny Carice of Recovery Centers of America and Dan Moss and Master Corporal Michael Eckerd, both of the Newcastle County Police Department. This week, my guests are Dr. Denny Carice, the Chief Scientific Officer at Recovery Centers of America, Mr. Dan Moss, the Hero Help Coordinator with the Newcastle County Police Department, and Master Corporal Michael Eckerd, the Public Information Officer at the Newcastle County Police Department. How are you all today? Good, Earl. Thanks. Good. Thank you, Earl. Thank you for coming into Delaware Spotlight and talking about such a major issue that's affecting us in the community. I just wanted to find out a little bit more about Recovery Centers of America, Dr. Carice. Just trying to find out a little bit about the program and everything that it entails. Sure. So Recovery Centers of America, we believe in a full continuum of care. So people come to us for detoxification, residential treatment, outpatient, intensive outpatient. We use all different evidence-based practices. And two of our campuses have programs just for police officers and first responders that are very unique. We have wings just for that group. Mr. Moss and Master Corporal Eckert, just trying to find a little bit more about the Hero Help Addiction Assistance Program. Yeah. Well, thank you, Earl. So the Hero Help Program is a partnership with the Newcastle County Division of Police, the Delaware Department of Justice, and the Delaware Division of Substance Abuse and Mental Health. And it's designed to offer addiction and substance use disorder services to eligible individuals. It's a voluntary program. It's for any Delaware resident over the age of 18 and insurance is not needed. The state will pick up the price of treatment. When you talk about being a voluntary program, have you seen people more inclined to ask for help as opposed to feel like it's something that's mandated upon them? Absolutely. The voluntary aspect, when there is the treatment in lieu of arrest, there's a little bit of leverage, which is beneficial, but we pride ourselves in offering value. And this is something that I think is essential, is providing hope, understanding that opportunities tapping into ambition. Those are the best ways to promote long-term health outcomes. Prevention in itself is something that could use an update in branding. Saying no to something is an easy way to turn off a young adult. However, providing an alternative that's healthy, that can generate self-esteem and confidence, those are things that in the long run will lead to a healthier lifestyle. Now, Mr. Moss or Master Corporal Eckerd, what led to the decision to create a program such as the Hero Health Program? The Newcastle County Division of Police uh, in 2015 uh, started the Property Crime Initiative, and it was decided by then Colonel Setting that although not all addicts are criminals, most of the criminals that were going through with the property crimes were dealing with addiction. So this was an opportunity 
to provide alternatives to incarceration as a pre-arrest diversion. And that time, have you seen that program being very effective in deterring going into criminal activity and getting treatment? Since the inception of the program in May 2016, there's been a definite value demonstrated through the program, not just to cut down on criminal recidivism, but to promote progress through the continuum of care. In a fee-for-service-based healthcare system in Delaware, there's no incentive for a lot of providers to actually get the person through treatment through each level and into their self-sustaining recovery through case management and resource referrals, commitment to the families. Myself as a civilian coordinator in partnership with the police and the state, Department of Justice have been able to address some of the social mitigating factors and get people to live a better life at the long-term positive health outcome. Do you feel that especially being not only in addition to reviving them and sending them to the hospital and checking up on them, do you feel that at least that gives the person involved in the incident at least making them feel that someone is concerned for their well-being? Yeah, and it's important to note that since the program was started, it's grown to evolve and we've extended the continuum of care, so to speak, through the facilitation of non-fatal overdose outreach. And what happens is all call for service within the Division of Public Safety in Newcastle County are recorded and then provided to myself. And I go out with a, a uniformed officer and a nurse within 24 to 48 hours after an overdose and engage the individual into treatment, whether it be hero help or any other form of treatment, because the biggest indicator of a fatal overdose is a previous non-fatal overdose. And this has actually gone to include outreach in the prisons, as well as working with families. And one of the things that the police department does is, in August 2018, Hero Help was designated as a community-based naloxone access provider. So when outreach is conducted, officers are able to train individuals, family members, high-risk populations in the safe use and storage of Narcan and provide a free 4-milligram kit on site. Having the family involved in that, knowing that it's a situation that drugs, it can tear up a family, how important is that to emphasize the need of having a family involved in that person's recovery process? So it's incredibly important. And all the research has shown that when family is involved, the success rates go up. They're much higher. And this is true even if the family, even if they're angry at each other, even if they're not talking, just having the family be involved, even if it's just getting their own education and their own treatment, the success rates, the likelihood that somebody will complete treatment, that they'll stay in treatment, that they'll do well after are much higher when the family's involved. And you bring up a really great point, Earl, when you talk about the Narcan, and that's that when somebody overdoses, the Narcan, the way it works is that the heroin or the other opioid will bind to the receptors, right? And it will cause enough of an effect that the person will overdose. The Narcan goes in and it pushes all that off the receptors. And it literally, like that, just brings them out of their overdose. The first thing to know is that th their first response is probably they're going to be really angry. That may sound counterintuitive, but to them, you just ruined their high, you know. The second thing to know is, though, that in particular, fentanyl has a longer half-life than Narcan. What that means is that if they don't go to the hospital after they're revived, they feel fine, they're just angry, you did this, they don't want to go away. If you don't compel them to go to the hospital afterwards, they can actually overdose again in two more hours or so from the same drugs in their system without taking any more drugs because the half-life of the drug is so much longer than the half-life of Narcan. How quick does the Narcan work? I know you're talking about it's instantaneous, but is there a window of how quickly it works? I would say less than two minutes, sometimes 
even much shorter? Right. You can see resuscitation in shorter, but they say wait up to five, eight minutes for it to kick in. Dr. Carice, you have a dedicated wing in your Devon site? We do, both in the Devon site and in the site we call Bracebridge Hall, which is Earlville, Maryland. And you have a site for first responders, including police and law enforcement. What are the special needs of this group and why have a special wing just for them? Yeah, we have a special wing for them because you can't have a police officer in substance use treatment and have them be in a room sharing a bed with somebody they arrested last week or somebody who's father they arrested or or whatnot. So for their protection, they really need a separate wing, and and we do that. The other pieces are that they have some of the same, but they have some different problems as well. So the incidence, for example, of addiction in the general population is about 8.6%. Among police officers, it's 20 to 30%, depending upon which study you look at. The hours that they keep, the things that they see, the trauma that they go through day to day, the abuse that they take from the public. I mean, this is frankly a long hours thankless job in many ways that includes really significant trauma. And they really need a place where they can discuss that and work through that in a safe place. As we just recently passed the holiday season, now we're into the new year. Why shouldn't people wait normally so after the holidays to get treatment for drug and alcohol problems? It's not like you can do a simple, my resolution is I'm giving up drinking and drugs. It's not that easy. Why can't they spend the holidays with family first and then go to treatment? Yeah, it's a good question, Earl. One of the things that happens when you're waiting is that people overdose and die. And we have never had the purity of opioids in this country that we do now. So a lot of people will say, you know, that admissions and treatment programs go down during the holidays because everybody wants to be with their family. But you don't know if somebody is in the throes of an addiction and they're using and they're using every day, you really don't know when that next bag, that next fix is going to cause them an overdose and cause their death. So if you really have this window, if somebody even thinks that they're ready for treatment, that you have this really brief window get them in while they're ready and their family can visit for the holidays. But frankly, get into recovery is the best gift you can give your family. Does there seem to be an increase of overdoses around the holiday season or is there just no correlation towards that? There's an increase usually in alcohol and other drug use. People are partying. It's kind of natural. What do you think? Well, you see the difference when the changes in the seasons and you see the changes with the holiday seasons that come in. Um, It can be that could be directly involved or not. Just really up in the air. When people have more time on their hands or people are off from work and people are more enjoying themselves, they fall down a slope and go to substance abuse. I think DUIs increase a little bit during the holidays. That is correct. Dr. Carice, or Mr. Moss, or Master Corporal Eckerd, what is the, I guess, most prevalent drug that is growing in popularity that is leading to greater addictions? Well, I think one of the things that's important to note is that this is very much an addiction epidemic. And there are a lot of emergent drug trends, which I believe Dr. Carice can touch on further. I think there's two things. One is that we don't want to forget about alcohol. Alcohol is the biggest problem that we have, causes more deaths than anything else. And we don't want to forget about that. At the same time, if you look at the data and the federal seizures from what we call the HIDAs, about 97% of all drugs seized at the borders right now are either cocaine or amphetamines. The reason this is so important is because that the opioid epidemic has been such a problem for so long, and we really focused on getting people in treatment. We have medications that are effective for this. We've increased the number of people in treatment with those medications, and that's been helpful. But really coming down the pike, in my opinion, is a much larger problem with cocaine and amphetamines. And those are drugs for which there is no medication-assisted treatment, that we really have to rely on psychotherapy and recovery supports to enable people to get well.
Some of the programs that Recovery Centers of America offers, what are some of those programs that are offered and how do they go to help towards treating the issue of addiction? Right. So we have specific programs, like we said, for first responders. We also have a young adult program. Our young adults coming in, and this is a large portion of our folks, they have some specific differences from our older adults, say. So we also do gender separation. We find that it's easier for men and women of a young age to focus better when they're not in all mixed groups by gender. So we have a young women's program. We have young men's programs. We have the first responders. We also address trauma, some eating disorders, and and other things like that. And again, we involve the family in everything we do. Do you feel like there is a greater increase of addiction among the younger population, or is it one that doesn't see an age group that's not age-specific? Right. I mean, it's not age-specific, but we definitely have seen an increase in young adults. And I would say we keep defining young adults more broadly. So I would say right now, young adults are essentially maybe 18 to 30 even. And we definitely have seen in the past five or so years an increase in young adults coming into treatment. The other thing that is very new in this country is that when we had heroin, people with heroin problems in treatment in the past, before the past eight or 10 years, typically your heroin user was somebody that had used multiple drugs for a long time. There were very few people came in, I have a problem with heroin, I'm physically dependent on it, I need treatment. And I started using six or eight months ago. That was unheard of. It was definitely more of a kind of progression from alcohol and marijuana to other drugs to heroin to then injecting. We're seeing kids now that started, that were what we call drug naive, never used drugs before, and they're injecting heroin six months later. Master Corporal Eckerd, Dr. Carice, with your specific roles in both medicine and law enforcement, how have you seen the changing attitudes when it comes to addiction and drug use and drug dependency? Well, I think we're getting better as a country in viewing this as a disease, as a physiological disease. We know what genes are responsible. There are certain genes that make you more likely to become addicted. There's actually certain genes that make you less likely to be able to quit. There's others that will metabolize the drugs in a different way. And so when all this new science is coming out, it's slightly and slowly impacting the the stigma around addiction. The other thing that has happened is we've really changed our language around it. So the real term for it now is substance use disorder. And people have a substance use disorder. It doesn't roll off your tongue very well, but we consider it at this point. And the APA, the style guide for all writers out there, has taken the word addict out of the equation. So we really try and look at people as individuals struggling with a disorder. And we really have the background to show that this is a medical disorder. Unfortunately, it involves sometimes bad behavior. The general public doesn't like calling it a disease because they feel that absolves the person of their bad behavior. And frankly, nothing is further from the truth. If you have a disease and you know you have a disease, then you have responsibility to care for that disease and take care of it and to keep it under control, just like it were diabetes or any other disease. I don't know that in the police force and out on the streets and what you're seeing, I think that the police are handling folks much more as individuals who are struggling than as criminals. The interesting thing that's going on with the sense of addiction, especially with heroin, is that it touches everybody. 20 years ago, when I first started this job as a police officer, it was more located inside the cities. You have a thought in your head of someone's a junkie sitting in. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No the corner shooting up with heroin. Unfortunately, that's expanded beyond anyone's thoughts that this would happen. All of a sudden, we have kids that are 14, 15 year old honor students that are falling into it. You have workers that have hurt their backs and have fallen into Vicodin with all the other pain meds and the opioids, and then for some reason they just can't break the habit. So it's a turn. It affects everybody, and that's the scary thing. It's a good thing for all the assistance and everything that's been going out and the change in the ideologies for my agency and law enforcement in general because you can see it from like when I first started, we were arresting for possession and for everything like now. Now we're the big push to find help, and we can offer that help. You were talking about earlier in your career how it has differed when it comes to arresting or dealing with subjects who deal with addiction. How has that changed over time? My agency has always been community-based policing. And when the community changes, when you see a, a tide or when crime changes and tears at the moral fabric of society, you'll see that the department will change as well. And that's the great thing about my agency. So we start spearheading. So when I first started, we were arresting the heroin abuser. I knew who they were as a property crimes detective. I knew who they were in my neighborhoods. Why? Because they were doing most of the crime, the property crimes. And we would just go for that trend. And it sounds horrible, and it does, and it's not. It's, it is. It's the way it was, and that's how we would focus. And you would see the property crimes going around, the crimes actually rather going around from where the abuser was. But now the times have changed, and it's not necessarily the criminal that's doing it. And more often than not, it's not a criminal that's doing it. More, it's just a person that was, for no fault of their own, fell into this lifestyle. So now my agency recognizes that and then pushes and we change again. We, here we go again, changing with the fabric. And now we've come to address with these issues. And to the point where right now, most recently, the Hero Help program has taken off where actually we're one of the first agencies in the Eastern Seaboard to actually pass out Narcan and Noxalone, the kits, to the family members. My officers are not just carrying one kit. They're carrying two. Because we've also found that while the same batch is making one person overdose, it's also making another person overdose in the same household, in that same close proximity. So now the officers are better prepared to have two victims. To touch on what Master Corporal Eckert said, the change in philosophy is really generated from the top down. You see leadership in the Newcastle County Police Department, Colonel Bond, Major McLucas, Major Feaser, all being very hands-on with the programs that address mental health, as well as addiction. So when you have a paramilitary structure like the police and you're hearing at roll call time in and time again how important it is to go out and look at the long-term possibilities and how it will benefit the community, locking the person up on small charges or getting them treatment so they can lead a better life. Delaware and the surrounding states are just doing an incredible job. You had some legislation signed in September for this state that is really quite cutting edge that has created the nation's first overdose system of care, which is a very specific system of what happens when somebody overdoses. So that and many other things that have been signed into these three legislation pieces by Governor Carney have been really helpful. 
Comparing Delaware, I guess, to some of the other states in, in the country, where does Delaware's numbers, I guess, in overdoses rank compared to some other states? It's like fifth or sixth. Yeah, I think. It, it was shocking. I'll put on my hide ahead here for a second. So with Philadelphia being the largest open-air drug market in the country and one-third of the U.S. population within a 12-hour drive, you see a lot of the drugs coming in and out through the, the interstates, and the I-95 corridor is definitely a major throughway for drug trafficking. I know that there's something called the Drug Monitoring Initiative, which New Jersey started and Delaware has since adopted, which if you follow it, you'll see spikes that'll start you know, coming down from New York, and then you'll see whether it be through stamps or just based on the toxicology reports, you'll see that similar spikes will happen down in Delaware, further down 95 in a short period after. So this is definitely very much a situation where there needs to be regional information sharing and a comprehensive and synchronized approach. One of the things that made the problem and continues to make the problem worse is that there is no coordination between the health care and the law enforcement to deal with the physicians and the overprescribing. Because when you shut down a quote-unquote pill mill, they're not necessarily providing healthcare services to those patients who are now left without their drug dealer. And it's the same thing that happens when you take out a large drug trafficking organization. You'll see overdoses spike because people will be getting a different supply and there'll be a different cut, different adulterants added. So there needs to be more of a comprehensive approach between public health, between Division of Pro Reg, which runs the PDMP, and law enforcement. But overall, Delaware is, by all means, ahead of the curve since it's a small state and it has excellent relations with the other states in the tri-state area. People don't think we know, like, is this a fluke, this opioid epidemic? You know, you don't have any idea how it happened, do you? We do know. We know very well how it happened. And it was a combination of two things. In my opinion, one big player in this was the pharmaceutical industry. And they are now being sued. I believe we're going to get a settlement that is going to dwarf the tobacco settlement that we got from the suits to major tobacco. There is no doubt that opioids prescription opioids were marketed unethically, that they were proliferated unethically, that doctors were trained to use them in a way that is inconsistent with medical practice. Doctors don't get a lot of training in medical school on either pain or addiction, so that it was kind of ripe for this to happen. The other piece that played into this kind of at the same time was this confluence of, we used to get about 90% of our heroin from Colombia. Now we get 90% of our heroin from Mexico. And Mexico really revamped how they create, deliver, and deal heroin. And we had a area of Mexico where they sent these kind of young guys up from Jalisco, Mexico, and they were kind of drug naive. They didn't use the drugs. They specifically didn't go into neighborhoods where there were gangs. They didn't believe in violence or they didn't carry weapons. And they hit basically middle America. And they really, just like the pharmaceutical industry revolutionized marketing of pharmaceuticals, they revolutionized marketing of heroin. When it started coming from Mexico, and in particular this town, it was much more pure. It was much less expensive. And these guys that came up to deal it, they just came up for six months to make enough money to go back home and buy their dad a car or whatever. It was a very impoverished area. They dealt such small amounts that initially for a number of years, when they were caught, they were just deported and they were sent back. It was quite a while before we saw that this was a really well-trained mechanized group. So for example, they really became what I call the dominoes of heroin 
one delivery. And they would get these $10 bags. They would put them in balloons and put them in their mouth. And you could call them and they would meet you where you were and deliver the heroin to you. If you said to them, you know, one of those bags I got yesterday was really bad, they'd replace it. If you said to them, I'm going to quit. I don't want any more. Don't call. They'd say, okay, good luck, good luck. And they'd call you in three days. How are you doing? Just checking in with you. And they literally followed, frankly, the opioids, the prescription opioids in the country through middle America. And that's why we get such an Appalachian Trail that was hit first by the prescription opioids and now heroin and up and through Ohio and whatnot was that the um, pharmaceuticals really targeted these areas where people had high levels of pain, high levels of despair because the coal mines and the steel mills had shut down. And they really, the Mexican group also really followed that they skipped LA. They wouldn't do any place where there was an established drug trade and they really followed into that. And those were the two things that really came together to make this a very big problem. Dr. Chris, I know you're talking about situations that may occur, such as people losing jobs, coal mines, and things like those closing. How much of a mental aspect goes into substance use disorders? Well, I think that there is um, a piece of it that is when there's a lot of despair and a lot of hopelessness, people are more likely to use. You know, I want to mention too, Earl, that heroin's been a problem in this country for a very long time. It's gotten a lot more attention now because it is so more widespread across communities, but there are communities that have been dealing with this problem since the Vietnam era and before. And where you see despair, where you see poverty, you will see typically more drug use. And as we look to address it, one of the things we want to do in treatment and at Recovery Centers of America, what we do is try and not just safely detox them from the drug, but give them other things to look forward to, things to know how to do. So for our young adults, for example, we teach them how to get a job. We teach them how to get their credit back so that people have something to look forward to. I've been in long-term recovery for 30 plus years. And I don't know anybody who's been in recovery that long that didn't have something that they wanted above and beyond just quitting. And so when you give somebody hope for the future, that's when you really are able to impact them. What we have now is whole towns that are really decimated by the lack of work available, lack of employment, a lot of physical ailments as a result of the type of employment that was very big, and then the opioid problem that came after that and very little hope. And what we need to do is give people hope. Dr. Carice, do you feel, feel like uh, substance use disorders, that can be considered as a, a lifestyle type issue as well? Well, you got to remember something. Substance use disorder is a medical diagnosis. Mm. It's, it's a diagnostic code. Mm. Um, do I think people that are raised in families and neighborhoods where um, substance abuse is common are more likely to use? Absolutely. Just like people raised in families where... Um, sports is more co- involvement in sports is common are more likely to be involved in sports. So so people are very affected by by the group around them. Um, so it's it's a matter of what your influences are in life. And one of the things we do with folks that come into recovery is really link them up with people that are in recovery. So if you start hanging around with people in recovery, you're not going to want to use the way you would if you're hanging around with, with a group of people who are still using. So that's why it's so important to really develop new relationships. Okay. As we as, <laughs> as we draw closer to a close on this interview, I, I do appreciate all three of you coming out and discussing this very serious issue. Starting with you, Mr. Moss, what would be one thing you would tell someone who maybe is struggling and is in a situation that wants to find that help that they need? I would recommend that the best thing for someone to do is to understand the importance of timing. Reach out immediately. There's no shame in this. We look at it as someone who wants to improve their life situation and we want to support them. Ultimately, it's going to be their fight, but with us in their corner, whether it be treatment providers, police, 
sober support. The stigma is something that we are working on every day, and it's important that people understand that it touches us all. And if it's not addressed sooner, there might not be a later. Yeah, I would say that if you have a loved one struggling, see if you can talk them into getting some help. You can call 1-800-RECOVERY. That's our 1-800 number. If we are not a good fit for you, we will find you a place that is a good fit for you. Or you can go to 1-800-RECOVERY.COM, which is our website, and you can ask all the questions that you want. I think what was brought up here is very important that you never know uh, how long you have and what the next hit or fix or drink will lead to, so that if there's any possibility of somebody getting either an evaluation or treatment or whatnot, that you've got to act right away. We've got this really short window of time to engage somebody when they're open-minded and have an open idea about treatment. And RCA can get a car in your driveway probably in two hours at the most and get you into treatment. One thing I'd like to say about the Hero Help program is that we work with all treatment providers because it is the priority that individuals are triaged into an appropriate level of care. Recovery Centers of America is one of our valued partners. And I urge all individuals, whether they're interested in the program or not, to reach out for help. And a family member can reach out for help as well. And just to get some information or education or to learn more, I think one of the things that you guys do is provide Narcan, if I'm not mistaken. And I really urge family members, if you have somebody in your family that is even using opioids in any way, even if they're prescribed, to get a hold of the Narcan and to have that available for them. I do appreciate it. Again, Mr. Dan Moss, Hero Help Coordinator, Master Corporal Michael Eckerd, Public Information Officer at the Newcastle County Police Department, and Dr. Denny Carice, the Chief Scientific Officer at Recovery Centers of America. Thank you once again for coming on Delaware Spotlight and talking about this major issue. Thanks, Earl. Thank you, Earl. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guests, Dr. Denny Carice, Dan Moss, and Master Corporal Michael Eckerd for coming in and discussing the serious issue of addiction in Delaware. If you have a story or special event coming up that benefits things going on around the state, let us know. You can email me at earlholland at iheartmedia.com. This is Earl Holland, and thank you for listening to Delaware Spotlight. Have a great week. You can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.